Please turn with me one more time to the book of Deuteronomy, very last chapter, chapter 34. Uh, We are finishing up our series on the book of Deuteronomy today, and plan is next week to uh, begin the Gospel of John. Um, Before we read Deuteronomy uh, again, uh, I know Dave has already prayed for Uh, the sermon, but I'd like to pray one more time and give thanks to the Lord for our time in this book. So before we read Deuteronomy 34, let's let's pray once again. Lord, uh, we remember the words from Deuteronomy that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And we thank you that you have given us this book, the book of Deuteronomy, which is so full of Christ, shows us his glory. We thank you for the lessons that you have taught us during our time studying the book of Deuteronomy together. And we ask that you'd bring home to our hearts the reality that Christ the Lord is our life. And he is the one true Israelite who has fulfilled the law before bearing its curse. And we pray that your spirit would use the book of Deuteronomy in our lives to conform us more and more to his image. We ask that you bless us today as we come to the end of this book. Please teach us and transform us so that your name is honored. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy 34, the entire chapter, verses 1 through 12. Let's listen to the word of God. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, All Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do 
in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Well, have you ever, have you ever longed to go somewhere to a dream destination, but for one reason or another, you couldn't make it? Some longed for place that you desire to see with your own eyes and enter into, but you can't make it. Imagine the disappointment. And it's easy to to think that about Moses. Moses, no doubt, wanted to enter into the good and spacious and fruitful land that God had promised to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But God would not let Moses enter. It raises the question, why? Why? Why did this sinful group of Israelites get to go in while Moses stood on the outside and died? It's one of the questions I think we need to reflect on as we think about the book of Deuteronomy. There is something significant going on here. This is not merely the record of the death of an elderly man. As the mediator of the old covenant, Moses' death outside the land is, is loaded with meaning that I think becomes all the more clear when we compare it with the death of our mediator, the mediator of the new covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've said before that uh, one way of understanding the book of Deuteronomy is as a succession narrative. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, the very beginning of the book, Moses recounts how the Lord told him that he would not lead the people into the land. That task would fall to Joshua. And now here we are at the end of the book, and it ends, all wraps up, with the death of Moses and the succession of Joshua as the new leader of God's people who will take them in to receive their promised inheritance. So what I want to do today as we come to the end of Deuteronomy, it's really very simple. I want us to reflect on the death of Moses and the succession of Joshua. And I think we will see, with the Lord's help, that the death of Moses and the leadership of Joshua anticipate the death of the greater Moses and the leadership of a better Joshua. Who, who leads his people into true and everlasting rest. See, friends, in Christ, we have a mediator who died for us so that we could receive the promised blessing. Now, to get just some sense of how prominent the death of Moses is, let's just remember how much it comes up throughout the book of Deuteronomy. 
Right at the outset in chapter 1, Moses says, again, it will be Joshua who will take the people into the land. And that clues us into the fact at the very beginning that Moses is not going to be around forever. Someone will come after him to lead God's people. And then in chapters 1 and into chapter 2, Moses recounts the story of the first generation that came out of, uh, out of Egypt, that first generation's refusal when they stood at the edge of the promised land, their refusal to enter in and take hold of what God was giving to them. And so God, what did he do? He consigned them to that generation to wander in the wilderness for the rest of their lives. They were forbidden from entering into the land. And we should not miss how similar, how strikingly similar this is to Moses' own experience. Right? Moses wandered with Israel in the wilderness for 40 years, and he too is forbidden from entering in. I think there's a sense that we need to see. There's a sense of solidarity here. Moses' solidarity with the people. Moses even says in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that the Lord was angry with him on account of the people. He says, the Lord is angry with me because of you, he says. Right? God swore to Moses that he would not enter the land, but that he must die outside of it. Outside of the promised land. Now, of course, we've, we've thought about this before. Moses was not perfectly innocent. You remember the whole incident when he struck the rock, when he was told by the Lord to speak to it. But something else is being highlighted here at the end of Deuteronomy. Moses' exclusion is in some way because of the people. Or we might even say, for the sake of the people. And then back in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, God, God begins to give the law, but, but remember Moses' role at, in, in all of this? The Lord first spoke to the whole assembly from the mountain, out of the midst of the fire and thick darkness with a loud voice. And you remember that the people were utterly terrified and they said, why, why should we die? If we hear any more of the voice of the Lord, we will die. So they said, Moses, you go. <laughs> you go. You go up the mountain. You go near and listen to all that the Lord has to say. Then come, come to us, speak, speak the word to us, and we'll listen to you. Israel understood something of the life-threatening experience of being near the Lord and listening to his voice. So they said, Moses, you, you go instead. One of the things we should see there is this, this pattern. that Moses' own life is put at risk for the sake of the people as mediator. Then in chapter 6 through 11, there's the, the laws related to the first of the Ten Commandments. No other gods before me. And in chapter 9, the golden calf incident, incident is recalled. When the Lord said to Moses, I will blot out their name from under heaven 
And he says to Moses, I will make of you a great nation. But how did Moses respond to that? He, he did not look to his own interests. But what did he? Instead, he, he laid down in a death-like posture, right? prostrate before the Lord for 40 days to plead their case, even denying himself of things like bread and water, necessities for life. And he did it on behalf of the people, on behalf of Israel. And then in chapter 18, there's, of course, the expectation of a prophet like Moses who will come, which, of course, tells us Moses isn't that guy. Moses isn't the man. He's not that prophet. So there's a quiet but clear expectation for a prophet after Moses. There's there's more to come for God's people that will not involve Moses. And then here we are in chapter 34, and we have the actual account of Moses' death. And again, it is a death outside of the land of promise. And so the death of Moses is a very important and prominent theme in the book of Deuteronomy itself. But it's also an important theme in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. I wonder if you know this, that Deuteronomy 34 is not actually the beginning of the story of the death of Moses. The beginning of that story is found in Numbers chapter 27. So this story, the account of his death, actually begins in another book, back in Numbers 27, where God commanded Moses to climb the mountain and survey the land before he died. Here's, I think, an important lesson, not only for interpreting this passage, but for biblical interpretation more generally. The meaning of a text is not just in the words themselves, but often in the way the stories are told. The structure of a text also communicates part of the meaning of the message. And I'm convinced that the structure of this passage and this book is meant to teach us something. Because here we have in Deuteronomy 34, picking up where Numbers 27 left off. And, And that means, think about this, Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 33, really the whole book of Deuteronomy is actually a kind of aside to the story of the death of Moses. It's an aside. The laws of Deuteronomy are bookended by God's command to Moses to go up a mountain and die outside of the land. And so in Numbers 27, God tells Moses to go up the mountain, look on the land, and die. Freezes the frame and gives the law through Moses that we have in Deuteronomy. And then the story of Moses' death picks back up. And Moses actually goes up the mountain, looks upon the land before he dies. So what's the meaning of this? That's that's the million dollar question. What's, What's the message here? Why is the story framed this way? Why is the giving of the covenant bracketed by the story of the death of the covenant mediator? I think here's one of the right answers. It's because the 
the death of Moses is interpreted by the law of Moses. The death of Moses is made sense of by the law. The law, which at its heart promises life for obedience and death for disobedience. And one of the lessons we see here is that in judgment for sin, sinners wonder but never arrive. Moses' death is is more, again, it's more than just an account of an elderly man dying. Moses doesn't die merely as an individual. This is something else we need to understand. He dies as a representative figure. And it's only once he dies, this is crucial too, it's only once he dies as the mediator of the covenant that Israel can go into the land to receive the promised inheritance. And so the death of Moses, as the covenant mediator understood in the light of the law given through Moses, I think sets an important fact before Israel, that without the death of the covenant mediator, none of the blessings of the covenant would ever be received. It's only after Moses dies that Israel can receive the promised blessings. And so when Moses ascends the mountain, when he goes up Mount Nebo, he ascends to never return. He ascends to, in many ways, die so that the people might live. The significance of Moses' death becomes even more clear when we consider the scene described in Deuteronomy 34. Notice he ascends the mountain alone. And commentators recognize that he ascends away from God's people in isolation in a way that echoes the theme of the scapegoat. He He will go out and die so that the people can go in and live. And atop Mount Nebo, Moses is is given this sweeping vision of the promised land. Again, why? Why Why does the Pentateuch end? Why why does the first five books of the Bible end with this vision of a kind of new creation? Because that's what Canaan is. It's an earthly picture of a heavenly reality. And I think it's because the law of Moses, while opening up to us the prospect of life and blessing in a good land with God, dwelling in our midst, can never actually bring us in. The law can't get us there. It declares the path of life without ever securing it for us. Because the law and our attempts to keep the law cannot secure the promised blessing. The fact that God graciously brings his people to enjoy the promised blessing by another means altogether is in fact, I think, wonderfully illustrated by Moses himself. Because even though Moses dies on Mount Nebo, outside of the land, where do we meet Moses again many, many, many years later? You know what story I'm talking about? The next time we see Moses, he's made it. He's there. He's he's in the promised land in 
Deuteronomy 34, Moses is given this vision of the promised land. And he's, he's standing uh, on Mount Nebo where he could, he could see from there physically. Now, Moses was given some kind of vision of the whole promised land. But even from Mount Nebo, physically, he could see the, the northern peaks. Uh, and, and, and on one of those peaks were, were, was the very place that Moses would stand with Elijah the prophet and have a conversation with Jesus. Think about this. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, Jesus, the full and final revelation of God. And they're having a conversation with each other. But how? How? Moses, in a sense, made it despite his own and the people's moral failures. How did Moses get there? I think Moses' conversation with Jesus contains the answer. He's talking to the very one. Think about this. He's talking to the very one who secured the promised blessings by flawlessly, perfectly, unendingly fulfilling the law, keeping the law, and bearing its curse as the mediator of a new and better covenant. I just, I love this, I love this scene. Story of Jesus' transfiguration. Moses and Elijah and Jesus, his face shining like the sun. And what were they talking about? What was the topic of their conversation? They were talking about how Jesus was going to save his people. They were talking about how Jesus was going to save you and me. They talked about nothing less than a new Exodus. Luke chapter 9 verse 30 says, Behold, two men were talking with him, Jesus, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was to, what he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, that word departure, of course, refers to Jesus' death. But the Greek word is the word Exodus, a word I think Luke uses deliberately to help us see that Jesus is the greater Moses who brings about a new exodus by his death. His death begins a new exodus leading God's people to a better land. And to bring this about, he will, he will need to ascend another mountain where he will die as a covenant mediator and the representative of his people. You see the, you see the wonderful harmony of scripture, the consent of, of all the parts, and how it sets forth the glory of Christ. How it leads us straight to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, who went outside the camp to die on a hill in order to bring us in. He did it, so that the blessings of the new covenant in their entirety could come to us. Hebrews 9.15 says, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance. Since a death has occurred, that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. 
See, Moses had to die without entering Canaan, the earthly picture of God's promised place of blessing, God's promised place of rest, because as the mediator of the old covenant, he had by his own transgressions and the transgressions of the people been disqualified. But it was necessary for Jesus to die, even though he was the innocent one, even though he had never committed wrong. It was necessary for Jesus to die to enter his rest as the true mediator who reconciles us to God and qualifies us to the inheritance of the saints. You see, in Christ, we have, we have nothing less than, than the resolution to the story of Israel. The resolution because he is the sinless mediator between God and man. And therefore, he can stand for his sinful people in their stead and bring not merely himself, but, but them with him into the promised rest. And therefore, unlike Moses' ascent to death with no return to be succeeded by another, Jesus ascended Mount Calvary to die and then succeeded himself. He fulfills the roles of both Moses and Joshua. After ascending the hill of death, he returns in triumphant resurrection. And as the greater Moses ascends to die, the greater Joshua comes to lead his people to greater rest. He will do what Moses and Joshua could not do for the people. And that is secure their full, true, everlasting rest. And as we think about the death of Moses in the light of the empty tomb, we have to recognize that it wasn't possible for death to hold Jesus down. Because he was the righteous one. Because he was the sinless son of God. Even death itself had to give way to him. Even death itself had to give way to him. By coming under the power of death for a time, death was brought under the power of Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus, we need to appreciate this, the death of Christ was no accident. Wasn't something unexpected. It was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God so that death could be undone and covenant blessing could break loose upon God's people. See, the intentionality of the death of the covenant mediator is a major theme in Deuteronomy 34. I wonder if you noticed that, especially in verse 7. We're meant to see Moses' death is no accident. It's no accident. After all, we're told that although Moses was the ripe old age of 120 years, when he died, think about this, he was able to ascend a mountain by himself, and the, the, the commentary is that his eyes were undimmed and his vigor unabated. In other words, even at the age of 120 years old, Moses was full of life. And this description makes clear that Moses did not die because his body was failing. Moses died so that the people could live and enter into the promised inheritance. And I think this anticipates, doesn't it? 
It anticipates the planned death of Jesus Christ as our covenant mediator. His death was no accident. He, he too, he died. He died at the prime of his life as an act of obedience. As he ascended Mount Calvary to lay down his life for us all. He died so that we might truly live. Now Deuteronomy goes on to tell us about the the burial of Moses, God's involvement in that, and, and its unknown location. But here again, I think there's this glorious contrast between the mediator of the old covenant and the mediator of the new. We, we don't know where Moses was buried. We only know his body stayed there, right? But with Jesus, what do we have? We have, we have an empty tomb and a mediator who lives to ever make intercession for us. See, Moses made the ascent of no return. But Jesus, Jesus died, and in his resurrection, he overcame death. He conquered death. The, the greater Moses was succeeded by the greater Joshua, and, and he ascended to heaven in order to return to bring us our promised inheritance, which is... What does Peter say? It's kept in heaven for you. See, our, our mediator, let me put it this way. Our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, does not leave his people weeping and mourning like the Israelites wept and mourned for Moses. You notice here in Deuteronomy 34, no words of comfort are spoken to Israel mourning the death of Moses. But when the disciples, again in contrast, when the disciples are peering into the heavens looking for Jesus, the angel came and said, why are you looking into the heavens? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He will come again for his people. See, unlike Israel, we expect his return. We look forward to his return. And when he appears, we will enter into rest and receive the promised inheritance, which is nothing less than life with God in a world made new. Right? For that reason, God's people are a people of faith and full of hope. And so, brothers, brothers and sisters, one more time as we as we wrap up Deuteronomy together, remember what the message to us has been. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ, who is your life. And he, he brings resolution to Israel's story. He is the greater Moses, the greater prophet that is promised in the book of Deuteronomy. He is the better Joshua who brings us into our true and final rest. He kept the law for you. He suffered the curse of the law in your stead so you could be forgiven and brought in to dwell in the glory land of the new creation with God in our midst forever. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, we ask that this word would dwell in us richly. We thank you for giving us the light of your glory 
in the face of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would that you'd give us grace to obey the voice that was spoken on the mountain and listen to him and live. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.